Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Copa Libertadores podcast. Uh, we've reached the round of 16, the first leg of that has taken place over the last three days and we're here to sort of review up all of the games. We are minus a Simon Edwards this evening because his internet crapped out on him and he hasn't been able to see a game. But we have the usual three in the form of uh, Austin Miller back from his uh, his trek to South America back in uh, Trumflandia. How are you this evening, Austin? Glad to be home. I mean, I guess. It's always nice to go home, but I had a fantastic time in Brazil. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, top to bottom, a fantastic two and a half weeks. So, you know, really, really good. Uh, it's always nice to be home, but it was it was a great trip, uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. Well, here you were very lucky with games. To the, to the greater part, you got to see some spanking games down here. Yeah, and, you know, Sao Paulo is a great city to go for go to for that because with with three teams in the city not able to play at home on the same day it makes it really easy to get to a lot of ground so eight games in two weeks not very many parts of the world that, that you can do that in with without really having to go anywhere else so it, it was a fantastic time got to see some great football and and really really enjoyed it you're a true football tourist in every sense of the word uh and next up in chile we have as usual adam brandon how are you adam you all right yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, Dave. Um, a little bit disappointed still from, from Sunday, where Chile couldn't quite get over the line against Germany. But yeah, slowly getting over that and looking forward to the World Cup qualifiers coming back in August already. Looking forward to discussing some Libertadores action tonight as well. Well, I suppose if you get the chance, uh, you know, we can do that because you, I'll say you're off the Christmas card list. I'm not speaking to you. Um, you've You've completely offended me. So... No, but no, <laughs> <laughs> but Neymar, but Neymar <laughs> is the, but Neymar is the Brazilian George Best. Don't just don't just don't. That's it's just sacrilege. The man is turning in his grave, turning in his grave. It's just it's just not fair. Last and certainly not least, uh, we have up in uh, Toronto, uh, Zabi Salvala. How are you this evening, Javi? All well with you? Apart from well, you had a bit of a heartbreak tonight, but we'll get into that. I think there's a rant coming from you. Well, um, hey, hey everybody, first of all. And then, um, so I'm having like mixed feelings today, given that like Barcelona had a great result yesterday, but Emelec was just so depressing today. I'm just trying to figure out how I feel, what words to use to express what I feel. So hopefully I find the right words in English to express exactly what I'm thinking right now. So we'll see how it goes. The word is ecstatic because I'm I'm a secret closet San Lorenzo fan. So ecstatic's the word that I'm, I'm using. Come on, just just don't don't start. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm indulging my man crush in San Lorenzo on this podcast. But listen, we'll get into that. We'll start off back on uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, we had Goydoy Cruz uh, going down at home to Gremio, uh, 1-0. Austin, you saw this, and I, saw, I missed the goal because the goal happened in 45 seconds, but there wasn't a great deal in this one. Um, to be honest with you, Gremio must be going away back to Brazil for the next round, albeit in a long time. Uh, very happy with this one and very confident of progressing. Yeah, this match kind of followed a formula that we saw in a lot of these matches. They really did kind of feel like first legs where... Teams were concerned with the thought of playing themselves out of a leg. Um, Gremio were very fortunate. They scored, as you said, 45 seconds in. So if you turn the television on a minute late, you miss the only goal of the match. Uh, and from there, I thought Gremio played a really, really good first 20 to 25 minutes of this match. They were all over Godoy Cruz. 
They had opportunities to, to get a second or a third goal even. Um, and then from there, I thought they kind of backed off a little bit, content with that 1-0 and also a bit fearful of, of conceding. Godoy Cruz didn't offer all that much. They controlled possession in the second half, uh, but they did fail to score. Gremio will be happy with this result. I think they could have even gotten a little bit more out of this match. I think they could have probably killed it off on the night had they been a bit more clinical in their finishing. Uh, but regardless, this is a very good result for Gremio to go away to Argentina, come back and know that, you know, they'll have to concede twice in order to go out, you know, without having penalties into the equation. And I think Gremio will feel very, very good. Uh, they're on good form when their first team plays. Uh, their most recent result with their first team was a 4-0 win against Atlético Paranaense in the Copa do Brasil. Outside of a blip at home against Corinthians in the league, this first team has really been clicking on all cylinders. They're getting closer to getting uh, their star midfielder Douglas back. They're just a very talented squad. I think really the only concern for Gremio going forward is if they can keep this entire core together. Don't know if that will happen. Uh, there's been interest in Luan for quite some time now. I think they seem like they're going to try to hang on to him, but Pedro Hosha, another one of their talented attackers, has been rumored this week to maybe be on the move. So it'll be interesting to see with this extended amount of time between the two legs, the return leg only coming in August, what happens to this Gremio squad if they can stay together. But if they do, I think they're among, they're among the favorites in this competition. They have been for a while. When they're on their night, I think they're one of the most talented teams. So this night could have gone a bit better for them, but a 1-0 win on the road, in a first leg is, is never going to be something that you'll be complaining about. Marcelo Groi was, was good in goal. Uh, we also got the, oh no, my shoelaces come untied, little timekeeping, time wasting strategy. I went deep in on time wasting this week because that was kind of the most exciting thing that happened in a lot of matches. So, uh, we'll get into, you know, what happened with, uh, with the strongest and, uh, Lanus a bit later. But Marcelo Groi got a yellow card for untying his shoe and then trying to get a center back to tie it. So other than that, a good performance from Gremio. And, and going forward, I think they're in very good shape. And I think they could be a team that we're talking about deep, deep into this competition. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Austin. I'd be very surprised if Gremio didn't reach the semifinals. Since we last did a pod, you know, we've obviously had the draw for this round. So we haven't had the chance to really analyze how the draw could pan out as the competition progresses. And if you look at the kind of the quarter of the draw Gremio are in, you know, they're playing Godoy Cruz, obviously, this round, and then they play the winner of Botafogo Nacional. And for me, that is by far the weakest quarter left in the Libertadores this year. So for me, I think Gremio are, are semi-finalists in waiting in this Libertadores. And they're just really a talented team, too. Um, it's just their attack has been so impressive. Uh, Pedro Jaromel and Walter Kahneman are two defenders that I've really liked. I think Gremio have, have one of the best squads on the continent, just top to bottom depth as well. There's no real weak spots. Uh, the, the thing that would be the concern for Gremio, I do think a team like Nacional, uh, we'll get to them in a little bit. They are probably going to have problems getting out of their tie with Botafogo. I think they could trouble Gremio because we saw this against Corinthians in the Brasile down. Gremio, struggled to break down a team that sat back and was physical with them and Nacional can play that style but if they don't run into Nacional I think they'll get through without any problems 
I could see them having a hiccup or two should that matchup come to fruition, but it doesn't look like it will. And beyond that, it's really hard to see a team that can play to the level of Gremio in their quarter and maybe even in their half of the draw. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think they're also, you've got to say, probably the most attacking Brazilian side in this competition as well. I think that's fair to say on the on the evidence, especially given what we saw in this round. Yeah, I just think they're the best Brazilian side in this in this competition. And I don't know that it's particularly close. They're a team that I pegged as a favorite from the start. Uh, I thought they were very solid in the group stage. And this was maybe not an incredibly impressive performance, but they're in very, very good shape going forward. Uh, it's hard to see Godoy Cruz turning this around at the Arena do Grêmio in Porto Alegre. I think Grêmio might, might walk that second leg fairly easily. No, do you know what, Austin? I couldn't disagree with you on that. I would... You know, just talking about Goidoy, you know, they, they've been good in patches, um, you know, through the group stages, but I just don't see them. I, th- I think they were quite flat. I think that would be the best way of describing them. You know, th- they went behind in 45 seconds and they really didn't offer up that much, you know, for, for the home team falling behind that early. They had an ample opportunity to, to, to regroup and get back into it. And they never actually looked like they were going to do it, Austin. No, they didn't, and they picked up three yellow cards in the first 20 minutes, and that was really the portion of the match where they lost it because they just looked a step slow and a step behind. And Gremio just got into that that form that we've seen from them where the, the ball is is winging around from side to side. They've got you know men running into the box. Lucas Barrios is playing well. Luan, Pedro Rocha. The goal came off of a very good move, basically on the first attack, You know, a cut across for Hamido to finish. And when Gremio get on that form, they're so difficult. And Godoy Cruz from the get go, you know, when you're down a uh, you're down a goal already in a minute, basically regardless of what happened in this match, aside from Godoy Cruz scoring three or four goals, it was going to be a positive result for Gremio because they had an away goal and they had it early. And Godoy Cruz, it just never seemed like they recovered from that. They did get possession back, but that was more so Gremio kind of going into a shell and preserving that result than it was necessarily anything that Godoy Cruz did. Indeed. Well, listen, we'll move on to the next game of the night, and that was Guarani going down at home 2-0 to River Plate. I didn't see any of this one, Adam. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. It was it was a, it was was actually quite an interesting game to, to see from the point of view, you know, River have lost a couple of players since the group stage. They've had to replace them. So it was always going to be fascinating to see whether or not they were weakened by that or even strengthened by that. And I think what we saw in this game is that they now look, if possible, an even more balanced side and possibly a stronger side. This was probably their most impressive performance so far in the Libertadores. Um, They were very solid in defence and they took their chances in attack. Guarani, they battled their way through Group A and just edge out Chile inside Akike. But they always looked like they were one of the weaker sides left in the draw. And, and that, of course, they were coming up against one of the strongest in River. You know, I, th- I think a few of us fancy them to go maybe all the way this year. But yeah, it was a it was a dream debut for Ignacio Scocco. He scored a he scored a free kick a few minutes before half time to break the deadlock, and and he looks a really great replacement for Drew. Is he a player Austin featured? on his Spotlight pod with Tom. Go check that out if you haven't heard it already. I think uh, Drusi's ended up at Zenit, right, Austin? Yes, Zenit. And yeah, and and River just looked solid throughout the game. I thought they never looked like they were too much troubled by the Paraguayans. And and Marcelo Larando 
got the second a couple of minutes before the end. He's a striker we saw a bit of for Rosario Central in the Copa Libertadores last year uh, before he got injured. And that certainly hampered uh, Rosario's chances last year in the competition. But yeah, he, he's also a striker. Juan Antonio Pizzi, the Chile manager, fancies actually, as, as he has some Chilean heritage. So in the past, he's been linked with a call up to the Chilean national side. So it'd be good for, from my perspective if he can get back to scoring goals because he's never been quite the same striker. Um, since he since he picked up a bad injury last year, just before he's moved to River, so so yeah, overall I was impressed with River, despite a couple of changes they've been forced to make. But yeah, like I say, they seem a little bit more balanced, a little bit more solid. It's, it's a shame that they can't seem to find any space for another one of our favourites from the Libertadores last year. Um, that's Arturo Mina, who was a key cog in the Independiente de A side who reached the final last year and was one of the best players in the competition for me as well but he can't even get on the on the bench for River which is which is sad to see hope that his career doesn't stall too much so Austin you also saw this do you agree with my assessment yeah, I thought River were composed. I thought they executed very well away from home. Guarani and, and Paraguayan teams in general have a reputation, much like Uruguayan teams, for being difficult to break down. They'll be physical. They'll be hard. You know, it'll be messy. And River didn't really get caught up in that. It took them a bit to score the first goal, and I thought it was fortunate. Uh, Skoko took the free kick, but it took a big deflection to beat Aguiar, the Guarani goalkeeper. Um, and then after that, because of course it's Libertadores, one of the banks of floodlights went out. So we had a 10 minute delay because, you know, why wouldn't we? Um, and that kind of sealed it for River. That's, for uh, that's so, that's so common now, Austin. That I, I didn't even put it in my notes. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just expected. I had to, I had to remind myself of it looking at the recap. We've got two yellow cards on here, one at 45 plus seven. And one at 45 plus eight. And I remember that that was because we had 10 minutes of added time in the first half because, you know, yeah. the floodlights went out. So <laughs> I figured that was, was worth putting in. You, you have, you have reminded me that we did debate on Twitter, didn't we? With, with a couple other guys that perhaps, uh, Guarani had done it on purpose to regroup after the goal had gone in. It didn't work. If, if they did do it on purpose, they need to do better because I don't think it made much of a difference for them. I thought River were, were strong. Again, they didn't just blow the doors off of Guarani. It wasn't like they were passing around through them and, and, and knocking in five or six, but they were never really threatened. You know, I didn't think that the River Plate goalkeeper had that much to do. They got a second goal late on. Weird things can happen with just a 1-0 result. You know, maybe Guarani shoves one past and then is able to defend at the Monumental on the return leg. But 2-0 is, is going to be very hard, I think, for the Potawatians to overturn. They did well to get this far in the competition, uh, but they just lacked what was needed to beat a team in River that I think is probably fair to say are, are undoubtedly among the favorites and maybe even the favorite at this stage. Um, it's nice to see that they are on an opposite side of the draw than Gremio. You know, I think those are two teams that, that we've all really been impressed with thus far. Uh, and so those two teams being on opposite sides means that they could only meet in the final. If you were to put money on a potential final matchup, I know that that's far away in the future. Those would probably be the two teams for me at this point. They've been the most impressive teams. They've been the most consistent teams. And it's it's hard to see River losing in this leg. 
And then in the quarterfinals, they'd be up against either Atletico Mineiro or Jorge Wilsterman, who, who, as we'll talk about in a minute, got a, a rather surprising 1-0 win. Mineiro are a good side, but the defense gives you concern. I think River are in a really, really good spot. You know, we talked about Driussi, the player that, that Tom and I had profiled on the Spotlight pod. How would they replace him? Skoko seems to be doing well so far. Gives him a bit of a different feel. It's just a very talented, strong consistent Riverside that is going to be a very, very hard team to eliminate in this competition going forward. Okay, moving swiftly along into the early game on Wednesday, Austin, we saw that the, the Brazilian derby, which saw Atletico Paranese go down 2-3 uh, to three at home to Santos. I know Adam won't be pleased with that. To be honest with you, this was a really entertaining game, end-to-end stuff. I think Santos were a little bit lucky to, to, to come away with the win, to be honest with you. Uh, there were three on up at one stage. Uh, Paranese pulled them back, pegged them back goal. But again, going to Sao Paulo, you would sort of say this one sort of looks very Santosish. It does. This was it was a bizarre match. I thought for the first twenty to twenty five minutes, Santos didn't really look like they wanted to be there, which was really bizarre for for a match at this stage. Uh, before I get into the actual match, important to note. Atletico Paranaense didn't play this match at their usual home stadium. Uh, the Arena da Baixada is being used for the Men's Volleyball World League Final right now, drawing crowds of about 40,000 for that. So they couldn't play at their stadium. Uh, the second biggest stadium in Curitiba belongs to Curitiba, the Coto Pereira. They were none too pleased to have Atletico Paranaense potentially play at their stadium. Wouldn't you know it, there was uh, a field maintenance scheduled for this week, so... Oh, guess I guess they can't play there because they had to redo the grass because, you know, coincidence and that sort of thing. So this match was actually played at the uh, Estadio Durival Brito, the Villa Campanera uh, in Curitiba, which is home of Paraná, uh, a team in the lower divisions in Brazil. So only about 13,000 fans at this and also not the artificial pitch that Atlético Paranaense are used to. I don't know that that had much of an effect on the match, but it is worth noting. Paranaense scored in the seventh minute, uh, a ball across the box that, that Lucho Gonzalez actually whiffed at, uh, but then the Callum was able to come in and kind of pass it past Vanderlei. They were 1-0 up, and as I said, Santos didn't look like they wanted to be there or were invested. Lucas Lima was particularly poor in the first 20 minutes. Uh, none of the passes really connected, and Santos looked like the poor Santos side that I saw both times that I saw them play in Brazil uh, against Ponte Preta and Sport. And then things kind of clicked. And in the 25th minute, it was a moment of brilliance on the counterattack. Lucas Lima played a really, really good ball forward for their striker, Kaiki. And he got through into the box, was able to finish past Weverton to make it 1-0. And then Santos added two more early on in the second half. Uh, the second on what was one of the poorest goalkeeping moments so far in this tournament from Weverton, the Atletico Paranaense goalkeeper. A shot came in from Victor Fejas. Weverton should have saved it easily. Instead, he gave a rebound that kind of rolled along the goal line until Bruno Enrique charged forward and was able to put it into the net before Weverton could, could grab it. That was a big blow for Atletico Paranaense. And then the third goal for Santos was really, really well worked uh, at a back heel from Kaiki to go up 3-1. At that point, the tie should have been done and dusted. Santos should have been in. But then they they switched off again, and they let Atletico Paranaense pull one back through Ederson to make this 3-2. Santos are in a good spot. It's hard to see them throwing this away at this point, but it was a goal that they didn't need to concede. They could have been home dry already, and they're not. 
they'll need to be on their toes for the first 15 or 20 minutes at the Villa Balmito. Kind of the the initial you know response from Atletico Paranaense, what we've expected to see from them in this tournament. They didn't look that great. Uh, it's surprising in some sense that they've made it this far. Santos weren't terribly impressive. They weren't terribly consistent. But, you know, it's a 3-2 win and they're not going to complain about that. One final thing for me from this match. Uh, Levir Kulpi, the Santos manager who's been in charge for about a month now, just doesn't like using his substitutions, apparently. I saw a match in Brazil where he only used one. In this match, he waited until the 88th minute to make a change and then made his second in stoppage time. He has talented players on his bench. Vladimir Hernandez, the, the Colombian, was a player that I would have liked to see in this match. Some fresh legs to run at the defense. But I guess he's just happy with his 11. And that's kind of been the case so far. I don't think he's going to have a very long time in charge at Santos. It hasn't really clicked very well. His assistant manager, Alano, is probably the guy who's going to eventually be the Santos manager. But just something to note that just some weird substitution patterns in this match from him. But 3-2 for Santos, a good result. I think they're feeling pretty good about where they're at right now. Well, I, th- I think the most interesting thing about this game was that it was, you know, it was only two only two ties this week had both teams scoring in it. Uh, and this was and this was obviously one of them. And it was a goal fest compared to the rest of the clashes this week. By far the most open game we saw. But it was a it was a strange game, I thought, no, Austin, because Santos really did look asleep for the first sort of 20, 25 minutes. And then out the blue, they scored a goal. And um, and Lucas Lima, who, who, like you say, was having a poor game, suddenly had sort of a stunning last hour or so of the match and ended up with the Man of the Match award. Yeah, I, I still can't work this Santos side out. You've seen them close up more than me, you know, on your, on your recent trip. I, I don't see them as potential winners of this competition at all, but... Again, uh, another one of these sides who keeps getting the result. Yeah, and they're they're frustrating because unlike some of the teams that that we've ragged on in this competition, you know, São Paulo last year, Atlético Paranaense, even Botafogo, if you will, this year, they have the talent. Uh, Lucas Lima has struggled with consistency over the past two years, but he's fantastic. Talented wingers, you know, some of the uh, some of the best wing play in Brazil. Ricardo Oliveira hasn't been healthy in a while, but when he's healthy, he can score goals with the best of them in South America. I think they have one of, if not the best goalkeepers in this competition in Vanderlei, at least as far as shot stopping is concerned. A good center back pairing in David Gibras and Victor Fejas. Uh, good defensive midfielders, Renato the veteran, Thiago Maia the youngster. So the talent is there, but the consistency for about two and a half years now for Santos just hasn't been there. And even over the span of 90 minutes, it wasn't there. Uh, you look at the result and it, it looks like it was, it was easy, done, dusted for Santos. Ah, they let one go back late, whatever. But you're exactly right. For 25 minutes, it looked like they were going to lose this and it was going to be a really, really poor result. And then they flicked it on for about an hour. And then for the final 20 minutes, it looked like they might throw it all away and finish 3-3. It's hard to make out this Santos team. I think they're a bit disorganized. I think they're, uh, as I said, a bit inconsistent. But who knows? You know, you can still be that and get far in this competition if if you play your breaks right. Uh, it looks like they're going to be in the quarterfinals. And, and from there, you know, the talent is always there. And if, if for 90 minutes or even just, you know, 180 minutes if they can put it together I think they can play with anybody in this competition but also as we've seen 
This is a Santos team that went away to Peru and drew with Sporting Cristal, one of the worst teams in this competition. So they can play with anybody, but they can also get played by anybody. And I think that's what's going to keep them from making an extended run or, or challenging for the title here. Austin, here's a question for you. You know, all the way through the this year's Libertadores, you've sort of suggested that, that Santos could run out of steam given the fact that they hadn't great depth. We're, we're looking basically at another month down the line for before we return for the second leg of these. You know, given the fact that they are a bit light, and you know another month, and you know another month has eight or eight to ten games that they'll have played in the, in Brazil here. You know, if, if they get a few injuries, maybe with that, that lack of depth, it's maybe not just as foregone a conclusion as we might think. Potentially, but for it not to be a foregone conclusion, Atlético Paranaense are going to have to score twice, and I don't know that I believe in Atlético Paranaense to do that. Uh, they've they've exceeded expectations thus far. It's probably 50-50 at this point that Eduardo Baptista, who started this tournament managing Palmeiras, now is managing Atletico Paranaense. It's probably 50-50 that he'll still be in charge at that point. They've had a couple of positive results in the league and a couple of really, really negative results. I just don't believe there's a lot of talent in that side. I don't think Paranaense are the team that could take advantage of a weaker Santos. Santos might struggle for a bit and they might be on the ropes for a bit in that second leg. But it's really hard to envision a scenario in which they lose 2-0 at home to this Atletico Paranaense side. Well, listen, we'll, we'll move forward into the next game. And another Brazilian side will stick with the Austin. It's fast becoming the Austin Miller show. Uh, Jorge Wilsterman won 1-0 at home to, to, to Gallo, Atletico Monero. Uh, didn't see anything of this one because I was watching the Santos game. Talk us through it. It was a good performance from Jorge Wilsterman. They've now played four home matches in this competition, uh, and they've won all four of them in Cochabamba in Bolivia. Uh, it's What this team has done is, is pretty impressive. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that of the 16 teams left, they're probably the least talented of the 16 teams. You know, this is a team that's really cobbled together a couple of Bolivian internationals. Uh, there's three Brazilians in this squad, none of whom have played at a high level in Brazil, all of whom are, you know, state league players for, for small interior teams outside of the big capitals. Um, but they've been very well organized, I've thought. Uh, they troubled Palmeiras uh, at the Allianz Parque and were 30 seconds away from, from taking a point from that. They beat Palmeiras. Uh, in Cochabamba. Um, they got positive results, as I said, at home. They've struggled away from home, and that might be their undoing in this tie. But a 1-0 win for them on a nice overhead kick from Alvarez, it's a great result. They have something to hold on to. Uh, like I said, they're well organized, and Gallo are going to have to score twice in order to beat them straight up. You know, a 1-0 result would send this to penalties, and I think that'd be a positive turn of events for Wilsterman. First, let the Cominado... Just frustrating. This team's just frustrating. Like a lot of they're Brazilian starting to teams. come back in the league a little bit now. They are uh, after a, a real bad start, Austin. They are, um, and you know we, we've lauded them as Jackal and Hyde. What's your thoughts on them for the rest of this tournament? You know, you just don't know what Monero's going to turn up. You don't, and the attacking talent is not a question. Juan Casadas, I think, is might be one of the best, if not the best, midfielders in Brazil. Uh, love him or hate him, Fredji can score goals at this level. I don't think you can argue against that. Albino is still playing well. Uh, Elias is a former Brazilian international. The attacking talent is not a question. Uh, Valdivia is a player who came over from Internacional that I rate highly. Even Rafael Mora, who's this team's second striker, can score goals at a pretty high rate in Brazil. A lot of the issue is with the defense, who, which is, to be fair, has just been ravaged with injuries. It seems every single time 
Atlético Mineiro touched the pitch. They're losing another defender. To be fair, I'd never even heard of their second center back in this match that they'd started. That's how deep they've had to go in their center back rotation. So I think some of it can be explained by that. Uh, consistency has been an issue. I think you'd still probably favor them going forward in this tie, but Wilsterman can frustrate. I think it's a big positive for this Wilsterman side that they do have something to hold on to. The first 15 Austin. minutes, I think, will be will be huge for them. You know, Austin. Yes. Give me odds on a Fredgy hat trick in the second leg. A Fredgy hat trick <laughs> in the second leg, not as low as you'd think. I think if Gallo get one, then. The concern would be if they get two, and if they get two, they'll probably get four or five because then they'll just kind of run over this Wilsterman side. If they can crack them once, I think they can crack them multiple times. But I would not be shocked to see this second leg go 1-0, and this one goes to penalties. Fredgy Hattrick, I'd say, you know, 20 to 1. Are you trying to purposely try to poke me with a stick tonight, Mr. Brandon, or what? <laughs> Fredgy Hattrick, please. Too, too easy. Too easy. Behave yourself. <laughs> Behave yourself. I, I'm going to talk to I'm going to talk to Javi here because I'm I'm tired of you two. Javi, come in from the cold because we have a game which saw poor old Austin's Palmeiras go down away to Barcelona. I enjoyed this. This would have even been a good nil nil to be honest with you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Barcelona second half were much much better. I, th- I think that they I don't know what they were playing at in the first half, and I'm sure your your tactical analysis will, t- will tell us. I think they made Palmeiras look better than what they were in the first half, but the second half sort of took to life a little bit more. Talk us through it, Javi. So, first of all, Barcelona must feel really, really flattered at how much respect Palmeiras showed to them, right? Palmeiras really, really just set up the game to defend. And technically, it's intelligent to do that because Barcelona plays at their best when there's space behind your defense for them to run and exploit that space. Right, so if you force them to control possession and try to create, uh, and you block their channels, their their, cha- their running channels, it's easier to defend Barcelona. I I get that, but not having a clear plan to actually just move forward at some point was really impressive to me. Like like Palmeiras really really set to defend during that game at the beginning in the first half. Uh, there were a few things that uh, that were outstanding to me. Thiago Santos was clearly man-marking Diaz, which was the main reason why Barcelona held possession through the first half, but were not able to create real scoring chances, right? Thiago Santos, for me, during the first half was masterful in man-marking, controlling spaces, and actually defending was very good. Now, in the first half, even though Barcelona had possession, like I said, no real clear scoring opportunities, in the 20th minute... Palmeiras had the clearest one in which Banguera saved really good. And it was probably the only play in the first half that Darío Imar and Javier Arreaga, the two Barcelona centre-backs, actually made mistakes. Besides that, I think that they had a very, very good game. Now, the second half was, well, let me just mention one more thing. In the first half, it's that Mario Pineda got injured. And I I really thought that was going to change the game a little bit. Because uh, the player that went in for Pineda is Tito Valencia, a former winger that is improvised as a, as a fullback, right? Which forced Pedro Velasco to play on the left and Tito Valencia on the right. It showed in the last games of the round stage for Barcelona, Tito Valencia is a liability on defense. He's very bad defending. Whereas in 1v1 tackles or in positional awareness or just unaware of what happens behind him. So I thought that Palmeiras might actually exploit that space, that liability behind him. But not even then. 
uh, I, I was still struggling to understand what the game plan was to Palmeiras because I understood the defensive plan. Okay, let Barcelona have possession, force them to create, which is not their specialty. Okay, I understand that, but they never had a clear chance, a clear idea of how they're going to actually hurt Barcelona. In the second half, Barcelona improved a lot. They actually started to create those chances, to find those channels, to find that space, right? And that's and this is where Almada was very, very slow in actually exploiting and taking advantage of the opportunity because the more they created the chances, the more you were seeing a Palmeiras that was a little confused and shaky on defense, right? As you will understand in a, in a football game, when your opponent is confused and is struggling to regroup and reorganize, that's when you strike. That's when you go all in and look for the goals, right? And Almada never made the subs that he should have. Like, at some point, Jonathan Alves, and this was, like, Jonathan Alves was fantastic during the, throughout the game. He was extremely well, and he read the game very well. At the end of the second half, he just moved to the right to actually be able to create more space in the middle, right? And you had Diaz also moving to the left to actually create that space in the middle for them to run. So they started to create an opportunity. But that's when Almada had to make the subs. That's when you needed to see Eddie Castillo go in. That's when you needed Nahuel Pan to go in. And he never did. So Almada was very disappointing in my in my opinion throughout the game. He was very slow to make the subs and he never was able to transmit that killer instinct that Barcelona needed in that specific moment in the second half. Now, I was impressed of how few like the, the how few people were at the stadium. It was very disappointing. But I guess that it was a mixture of how expensive was the entrance, the time, the day. It was very unusual to have a Barcelona game, a Barcelona Libertadores game, without that intense, monumental experience. It was disappointing. Well, well, yeah, especially, especially as they've done so well as well in in the group stage. There, yeah, you, you would just think that everybody was, you know, saving their money for this tie. You know, it's not like it's suddenly come come up, has it? You know, they've, they've known about this tie for for a good month. So I, I think that was the shocking thing for me. I just thought that. The Barcelona fans would would have really anti- anticipated this one. Absolutely, and uh, like just having less than twenty thousand fans was very very surprising to me and disappointing as well. Like, and uh, I didn't expect it. I totally did not expect. It. And then the star of the game, the man of the match, Jonathan Alves, scored a hail mary that puts Barcelona in a great position for the second round. I wouldn't be confident because Palmeiras is a great team, but they're definitely in a very good position to to take this this round, this bracket. You say they're a great team, but we haven't really seen that so far in the Libertadores. And if Palmeiras want my respect, which I'm sure they're desperate for, if they listen to this <laughs> part, then 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 they, but I think they really have to win this one um, because I, I really do rate this Barcelona side. And I was impressed that they ground out this result, really, because it isn't the sort of game Barcelona are set up for. As you've quite rightly pointed out, you know, Barcelona really like to exploit space on on the pitch and Palmeiras weren't giving them any, really. So the fact that they got that goal at the end gives them really a perfect scenario, I think, for the, for the second leg. Although it's only a one-goal advantage, the fact they haven't conceded an away goal is massive for them, especially as they're, I think they're, they're more than capable of getting at least one goal in Sao Paulo next month. Palmeiras and, need uh, to attack them as well, Adam, yeah, exactly. and, and that's going to so, leave themselves susceptible to that counter-attacking. So, as we've seen in the group stage, you know, where, when Barcelona took the lead against sides 
and force the opposition to come at them. That's when Barcelona are at their best. Um, so it's going to be a really intriguing second leg. And before uh, Austin jumps in and uh, and defends his beloved Palmeiras. <laughs> I can just um, move on to I, the next game. I just, <laughs> just want to say that the, the first half was was really disappointing. From what I, you know, I really looked forward to to seeing this game for for a while now. I just I just felt there was a real lack of quality and calmness on the ball from both sides in the final third, especially in the first half. Javier, sorry, you want to make a quick point as well? Uh yeah, just one quick thing is that like like I tweeted at you uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, this advantage will hopefully give us a chance to see the Barcelona we enjoyed so much and especially became the World Football Index sweetheart team for the Copa Libertadores, right? Because they'll have that chance to play that style of, of game that they, they played in the, at the beginning of the group stage. And we'll have Marcos Caicedo back. So he's going to definitely have quite a game versus Palmeiras, given that he'll have a lot of space to run and exploit. Yeah, right? yeah I, I, was, I was just about to bring that up because... I'm going to anticipate that Austin's going to bring up the fact they've been missing a couple of their key midfielders. But, you know, Barcelona were also missing a couple of key players, weren't they, Javier? Yeah, Marcos Caicedo is key. And in all fairness, Jose Ayubi has been playing very well in the Ecuadorian tournament, in which Barcelona has been improving since they start focusing back in the Ecuadorian tournament. But he's not Marcos Caicedo. Marcos Caicedo is in a whole different level. He, there were some rumblings of him leaving Barcelona, which were just, like killed yesterday. So he's good to go. He's committed to the team. And once he starts playing for them again, and versus Palmeiras, I'm I'm expecting a great game from him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm really looking forward to seeing him play again. So fingers crossed that he will be around for the second leg. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was surprised at just uh, same as Javier really, just how much Palmeiras defended in this game. You know, they hardly touched the ball in the second half, I don't think, and that left the Colombian striker Borja completely isolated up front. He barely touched the ball all night. Palmeiras did have one one good chance in the first half, but yeah, apart from that, they offered very little, and I've, I felt that Barcelona completely deserved their victory which came courtesy of that goal in injury time, which kind of took a couple of deflections before squirming inside the low left corner of a goal. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's set up brilliantly, I think, for the second leg. A perfect scenario for me. But for Austin, I don't think it is. I thought Palmeiras were poor on the night. I think that was due in large part to the fact that their Venezuelan midfielder, Alejandro Guerra, who was the player of the tournament in the Copa Libertadores last year, um... His three-year-old son had an accident back in Sao Paulo, um, fell into a pool, was rescued by firefighters. Seems as though he's in stable condition, um, but that caused Gerha to fly back the day of the match, so he did not feature. Uh, the decision was made for him to leave about three hours before kickoff. Uh, I think that made it difficult for Palmeiras' tactics. Uh, Miguel Borja was not due to start. Uh, the Palmeiras team that, that played so well uh, at points and had won four straight league matches was not the Palmeiras team that showed up on the pitch. That said, uh, I thought Palmeiras were unfortunate to concede a goal late. Uh, Barcelona did control possession. They did have the majority of possession. Uh, but I didn't think they turned it into very many chances. I didn't think they turned it into very many clear chances. Um, 
one shot from outside the box that was an easy save for Fernando Press. One kind of pinball in the box that Press had to come out on that a Barcelona player sent over the crossbar in about the 70th minute. Um, watching this match back today and watching the second half back, Barcelona just didn't stand out to me. I thought a nil-nil draw would have probably been the fair result here. Uh, the goal, it was it was tough for Palmeiras to concede, especially in that manner. Uh, Alves kind of, as Javi said, a Hail Mary hit from outside the box, took some deflections and squirmed into the net. Uh, it's 1-0, uh, but Palmeiras are by no means out of this tie. Uh, there is concern with the counterattacking ability of Barcelona. Uh, Palmeiras have shown weakness against counterattacks. Uh, they conceded three in the first half to Cruzeiro on counterattacks in the Copa do Brasil. Uh, that said, the last two knockout matches, the uh, knockout ties that Palmeiras had played, uh, they were three nil down in the first half in both of them. So uh, this is still a better position to be in than that for sure. I think getting Guerra back will be big for Palmeiras. Um, I think pushing Miguel Borja to the bench will be big for this Palmeiras team. Um, still plenty of time for Borja to to find his footing in Brazil, but he hasn't yet. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I thought this was actually the best that I'd seen Palmeiras defend in a long time. Uh, Luan has turned into a very good second center back partner for Yeri Mina. Uh, the Olympic champion came over from Vasco da Gama. I thought he played well. Zé Roberto was probably out of position in the midfield. It's incredible that he's still playing at the level that he's playing at. He turned 43 today as we record this, uh, but he's not a midfielder anymore. He, he can't really play that role. I, I thought he was a bit out of it. Um, so Palmeiras are 1-0 down. They're going to have to score. They're going to have to be concerned with the counterattack. Uh, it's going to be a tough task back in Sao Paulo, uh, but I think they'll be in a better position than they were coming into this match. One other thing I just want to point out, because it does seem like we're going to have video technology from the quarterfinal onwards, and there was three penalty appeals uh, Barcelona had in the second half in this one. And I think one of them was a very good shout. I forget which one at the moment. But considering how we saw VAR work, or should I say not work, in the Confederations Cup, I was just, as this game was happening, I was just trying to imagine the scenes which would play out if VAR but, was in place. Don't come Paul, not, not feel that you know, we have enough chaos without adding that. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, I, it's just it's just the rest of, recipe for disaster, that is. Copper Libertadores plus VAR. I, I mean, we struggle to keep the lights on. How do they think they can work a whole room with, with technology <laughs> for 90 minutes? It's, it's going to be tough. to find the people. Do they, are they going to have a police escort? They're going to have to, man. It's, yeah. It, uh, enjoy the second leg of the round of 16, because the second we see the refs making the little TV sign with their fingers, this tournament's gone to the dogs. Uh, to close out the point on Palmatis, they're up against it. Oh, it was my turn to close out the point. You can close out <laughs> the point. Um, no, you go first and I will respond. They're up against it. There's no doubt about that. Barcelona are a better team than they faced in this competition. But Palmeiras have been up against it in this competition. They were under a lot of pressure to close out the group stage. They got that done. Uh, they went behind twice to Peñarol at home and away, won those matches. They were under pressure from a, a very organized Wilsterman side and won that. I understand that Barcelona are at a higher level, uh, but I think Palmeiras can play at a higher level than they showed uh, last night. And I thought they were unfortunate to go down 1-0. But as Adam said, uh, for the neutrals, it sets up a fantastic scene um, for the second for the second leg. Because even if they do go 1-0 down, 
Palmeiras scored three goals in 20 minutes a week ago against Cruzeiro, you know, with this exact side. So there's a lot that can happen uh, in a tie. And I think this could set up to be one of, if not the best matches of the tournament, the second leg between these two teams at what I can guarantee is going to be a fantastic environment in Sao Paulo. You don't have to worry about Palmeiras fans being priced out, regardless of how high those tickets are, they'll be there. I think your point about Palmeiras possibly deserving a draw, I I just simply can't agree with. If If you defend that deeply for a whole half of football and you end up conceding, you know, however they conceded the goal, um, if you end up conceding it in, in in injury time, you get your just desserts, in my opinion, if but you if defend you, that But deep. if you don't concede real chances, do you deserve to concede? But it was common. Yeah. For that last yeah, it was. minutes, it, it was common. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter about if how clear the chances were. If you give the opposition that amount of the ball, uh, you know, if, if they finally do something with it, you can't complain, in my opinion. You know, as we saw in the Confederations Cup on Sunday, Germany got away with it against Chile. Just, you know, Chile had a pretty much an open goal that they missed late on. Unfortunately for, for, your, for your boys, they didn't get away with it against Barcelona. So I, I was quite pleased to see that shot go in, to be honest. I mean, to be fair, I'm going to complain about it, but I understand that I'm a bit biased. Just a bit. Well, moving, moving stiffly away from your bias, and we'll move to the strongest one, Lanus, one tonight. And a very, very late comeback from the strongest... And really, Adam, I'm going to come to you on this one. You know, we, few of us had fancied them, won them to go deep in the tournament. You know, their away form would suggest that uh, that might not be possible for them now. Certainly the noose this evening, um, they ran their lungs out, I think is the best way of describing it. Um, and, and we're sort of holding on at the end that they'd given their all. But it was a good performance by the noose and maybe... Maybe they deserve to, to to take the win away. Well, I, I wouldn't say they deserve to win it. No, um, I, I think the game could be summed up by the fact that Andrade got man of the match. That's the goalkeeper for for Lanús. But the strongest, their key players didn't have the best of games. Certainly, Alejandro Chumacero, who's seemingly turned down moves, you know, big money moves really to uh, to Mexico and Argentina. In the last week, he looked like he was signing for a team in Mexico about a month ago. And then just the other day, he almost signed for Independiente in, in Argentina. And and somehow that move didn't go through. I, th- I think it was down to Chumacero not wanting to leave the strongest at this point. He wanted to see this to see this Copa Libertadores campaign out maybe with the, with, with the Bolivians. But he seemed very rushed tonight, almost like he had too much to prove in my opinion like he I, I felt that because of all the speculation around him recently and all the rumors about him possibly moving on and the fact that he's ended up staying and he's been you know received as a bit of a hero in La Paz for that you know staying loyal to the strongest I felt that maybe he was playing to the crowd a little bit in this one and didn't make his usual good choices on the ball that he usually makes he also missed pretty much an open goal as well. Yeah, overall, I felt that the strongest looked the better side. But heading into that second leg with the strongest without their advantage of having altitude, you've got to fancy the Argentinians to to see this one out now, I think. Unfortunately for us who's 
you know, those of us who have enjoyed the strongest a lot this year in the Lippert stories. Yeah, Lanus were two minutes away from, from writing the book on how to win in La Paz. Uh, it goes a bit like time waste from the start, time waste a little bit more, have a hit from 30 yards that flies through the thin air and, and finds the goal. Uh, and then defend. Oh yeah, it was a, it was a great goal. Yeah, yeah. from uh, Pasquini. We have to say just that. Yeah. popped it from. Th- it, really it was, was a, a it was a La Paz goal. It was the type of goal. That uh, and also seen. also the also the strongest equaliser mm-hmm. was fantastic as yeah. well. Both both two really cracking goals. So yeah. check them out on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's listening to this. And then they continued to defend, and then they continued to time waste. Um, Andrada, man of the match, as you said probably more for his time-wasting than anything else because he certainly did a lot of it. This was a weird match for Lanus because it's a draw that feels like a loss in the context of this match because you concede in the 92nd minute, but it is also a draw that feels like a win because an away goal, now you're in the driver's seat coming home against a team that has struggled away from home traditionally. It's it's a good position for Lanus to be in despite that late uh, equalizer. From the strongest. We'd just like to point out um, everything on time-wasting bingo that uh, Lanus goalkeeper Andrada was able to pull off tonight. Uh, I believe he delayed on every single goal kick that he took. Uh, He did the old, oh, I'm injured a couple times, you know, came out, got some treatment, and still miraculously managed to only get a yellow card in the 79th minute, which was fantastic fantastic bit of time wasting to save it for that long to get a yellow card push the boundaries the whole night uh and then of course only four added minutes at the end of this match which always seems to be the case when you waste away the entire 45 you only have to survive four at the end uh good performance from lanus they're in good shape i still fancy the strongest though um it's hard to make a judgment on this lanus side based on what we saw tonight because they were playing such a kind of bizarre match in that they didn't really play at all besides the one goal that they did score. Uh, but the strongest have a lot of talent. Uh, I, I think they'll be keen to show that, that they were a bit better than they showed tonight. It might go against, you know, what the odds would say, but I, I think the strongest will pull out this second leg and, and I think they'll get the win away. They already got an important result away from home. Granted, that was only a draw against Santa Fe in the group stage. I think they can do that again against this Lanou side. Uh, so we'll see. A lot of talent in the strongest. Yeah, I, I think it's realistic to say that they could definitely take this game to penalties in the in 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 the in the second leg. I find it difficult to believe that they beat Lanous away, but certainly a one-one draw wouldn't surprise me again. And I can't imagine that Chumacero is going to play that badly again either. So hopefully he's on his game in the second leg. And we get one of the best players so far in this Libertadores back on his game. Indeed. Well, here, let's move forward into the next game, which saw my boy San Lorenzo go to Emelec and get a win tonight, Javi, which hasn't impressed you, I believe. The the goal came from a free kick, and I, I don't know what your feelings on it were, uh, Javi. I think the keeper was could have maybe done better and, and, and stopped it. You know, it was a decent free kick, but the keeper did get plenty of it, but only managed to sort of confound it by putting it into the back of the net of, of his hand. San Lorenzo, to me, defended very well tonight. It was a bit sort of uh, keystone cops, everything rose ed, ball away. They took no chances. Um, they, they got their goal and they, they, they held on to it. As I say, Emelec might struggle going uh, going back to Argentina. What's your thoughts? Okay, First of all, I think that one of the most outstanding facts of the game is that and then it needs to be highlighted is how the MLX fans, like, 
showed up to the game and stayed for the full game supporting the team, even though that was one of the most depressing showings of football that I've seen MLEC play. Now, it should not surprise me, given that the MLEC has been playing very bad for the last game. Very bad. Like, we had the, MLEC had the chance to take the, the, the apertura, like the first uh, stage of the league, and they just started losing for several, several reasons that have one factor in common that I'll mention him at the end. So let's start with the game. Again, it was a great environment in the stadium. Uh, unfortunately, there was a, there was a fight between the Barra Bravas at the beginning, at the beginning of the game, which was very, 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 very sad to listen to and to see. But hey, this is South America. It happens often and it's very unfortunate that it does. There were a lot of players that were in a very bad form. Uh, like you said, that free kick, A, should have not been there. Like you shouldn't be fouling next, uh, like in the border of your, of the box. You, you try, you, you need to, to not do it. And especially if you have someone like Belushi in the other team, in the other team that will be able to actually put a ball over the, the wall and in one of the low corners. And Dredd, uh, in all fairness, did get a piece of it, but just he's been in a very bad form recently, and it showed. Not just in that save or attempt to save, but for example, uh, his distribution wasn't very well, which is, it was unusual because when you know pick Dredd, you know that when his distribution is one of the, his greatest assets. And he was very poor today in distribution. Emelec started with a very offensive setup, which kind of made sense because Emelec cannot really defend at this point. Their defense is depressing to see. Tactically and individually, it's just awful. You, we, Emelec had two injuries in the first half. First to Brian Angulo, which is the striker in the best form, especially in Libertadores, has been great. He had a hamstring injury, if I recall correctly. And then Oscar Bagui, or, uh, the only left left-footed defender that MLK has, and had to, we had to see Byron Nina go in, which is not very encouraging to any person that actually watches MLK often. MLK showed they were very poor. The only bright spot, maybe, you could say is that Marlon Mejia, the very young centre-back, had a, a, a very good game for a second game in a row. It might be one of the few bright spots that you could see of Arias period in Emelec. And then we also see, we also saw the debut of Fernando Luna, which his first minutes were very good. He decided to take on players. He was very bold at going forward. It was nice to see. Unfortunately, at the end of the game, you see him maybe catching some of the desperation and just like lack of fight of the rest of, the t- of his teammates, which was very disappointing. Things that I didn't understand is how, for example, in the second half, Emelec only tried to play through the left wing. So, like, they started their attacks on the right and then crossed all the way to Preciado to try to create something. San Lorenzo defended very well, right? Mercier and Musis were fantastic today for San Lorenzo. I understand that for Emelec it was very difficult to break San Lorenzo down because the easiest way to break down a team that is sitting deep and is defending very well to have a target man. And Emelec had Brian Angulo being sold out for injuries and Marlon de Jesus not being able to play. He just recently came back from an injury, so he wouldn't be able to contribute a lot. So you didn't have a target man, and you had a player in such a bad form, like Bruno Vides, that he couldn't provide anything in offense, right? So it was uh, it was pointless for Emelec to try to create something. Like I said, there's one factor in common in all the problems that Emelec has, in which is Arias. Arias has 
the coach has several flaws. At this point, the one is that is the easiest to notice is that he's not being able to to hold a rhythm throughout the whole stage. Right, last year when he came in, we lost uh, Emelec lost a stage because of his bad form at the beginning. Then he went through a very good form and then fall back again. This year, again, they started very well. Even though they changed the whole roster, they started very well. It was they did an impressive group stage for Libertadores, and then. All of a sudden, they started to decrease their performance in, to a point in which Emelec fans now question what is Arias doing? Because after so much time being uh, ahead, like being the coach for Emelec, there's not a system in play. There's not a clear idea to play. The problems that they had at the beginning are still there. The reinforcements that they had evidently don't work. And in the Fernando Luna's case, if you see Emelec play, you will never, never think that the position they need to reinforce is the attacking midfielder. That's not the position they need to reinforce. They have clear flaws in defense. They need a, a, at least one center back of quality, desperately, and they need a, a main striker. Fernando Luna is neither. I have no issues with him. He might be able to contribute, but in that position, there are several players that can be able to contribute close to that. So it didn't make any sense. Arias is losing the press, he's losing the fans, and he has no arguments to support him staying in Emelec. And now, he's after the game, he made some outrageous uh, statements that are even contradictory to what he previously said. So, for example, today he said that Romario Caicedo, which had been one of the bright spots this season for Emelec, uh, is going through a transition period from his previous team to a bigger team like Emelec. Whereas during this year, he compared Romario Caicedo to Antonio Valencia. Don't you find a little contradictory the fact that you first are praising him, comparing him to the, let's say, the greatest Ecuadorian player today, and now saying that he's going through a difficult transition period? That's not fair. And that's very contradictory. And he keeps insisting in playing players in bad form, like Bruno Vides, and like Fernando Gaibor had a poor game again. I just... I just don't know what to think anymore. Like, how can you keep supporting Arias and his position? I understand that you have to defend and continue a process, but a process at this point should have a clear objective and a clear idea and a clear philosophy and a clear path toward correcting their flaws. That's not happening in Emelec. Simply not happening. I take it you wouldn't hold out much hope of uh, of a recovery then um, next month, Javi? I I take it you you pretty much think that that's Emelec done? Ah, there's a there were a few bright spots. Like there was a penalty kick that uh, that in I think it was the end of the first half that should have been called in favor of Emelec. That would have helped a little bit, I guess. Uh, if we had actually video assisted referee, we might we might have got it. Which is the clear path to go in the future is to get video assisted referee. I support that's, that. That's debatable, uh-huh. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in this panel, I know. I just wanted to get it out there. Unfortunately, yes, uh, I'm pessimistic about it because I don't see a clear work or a clear path in which they're working their flaws and more than being able to find a way to score goals because I guess that once Marlon De Jesus and Brian Angulo get back in, in form from their injuries, they will help in that and maybe Arias will notice how Vides is completely out of form and he's been a bust so far. That defense needs to be there's, there needs to be something done and I think that MLK has some tools that could help them solve that defense, even if not changing the defense, right? Because you have three great center midfielders, like Osvaldo Lastra, Pedro Quiñones, and Gaibor. 
And if you can rotate them in a way or, or create a defensive system in which they help more the defense that they have to create in offense, you might be able to hide your flaws in defense, right? But that's not even happening, right? So again, I'm just struggling to find what's the point of what Itzaria's doing, right? Where, where is his, his influence in the team? What is he doing towards helping this team improve? So if you ask me, I would bet against Emelec. That's just smart money at this point. But this is football, man. So anything can happen and I wouldn't lose, I wouldn't lose, lose hope. And uh, considering how well Barcelona is positioned for the second round, I think that I would, that should motivate Emelec as well to actually be able to get to the next round. Now, in all fairness, if you consider expectations, getting to the knockout run for Emelec after the, reshaping the whole roster from one year to another, it's fine. It's probably what they act more than they expected to get. But it's just so disappointing that you might actually should be able to get a little more because San Lorenzo, even though they won, they were not impressive. They were not a great team in front of them. They just were better than Emelec, which Emelec didn't set the bar too high anyway. No, and you know there was a, there was a lot of sort of last ditch defending and and very much Rose Ed, you know, kicking the ball out. It was very, it was quite a cynical de- defending job uh, at times by San Lorenzo. But when you're one up, suppose you away from home in this this knockout phase, you can get away with that. Listen, we'll move into the last game, gents, and that saw Botafogo go away to Nacional of Uruguay and come away with a one nil win. Austin. We're not going to get rid of Botafogo. We said it, we called this early on. They're still here, and uh, you, you know, as I say, there was a, there was a decent penalty shout turned down from from Nacional. We also sort of said, I think it was yourself that said you wouldn't fancy being the team that had to go there to Nacional and, and play them because they're a decent side. Botafogo have done it again. They have, they have, and and that penalty shout aside, and a couple of penalty shouts aside that probably should have resulted in at least one penalty for Nacional. Botafogo did it again. They played pretty darn well. Uh, this team is is much more than than the collective sum of its parts, if you will. You know, if you add up all eleven players on Botafogo, you don't necessarily get a team that has one foot in the Copa Libertadores quarterfinals. But here we are, uh, and I think a lot of that is credit to their young manager Jair Ventura. I think he's probably the best young manager in Brazil, and he's done very, very well with this team for Botafogo, and I think he deserves credit for that. The goal came off of a pretty good bit of individual play. Uh, the ball ball got reversed around to Bruno Silva at the far post. His shot was uh, was deflected off of a Nacional defender, and it fell to João Paulo, who was, who was able to put it home for the 1-0 for Botafogo. A cold, wet, rainy night in Montevideo exactly the type of game and night that you would expect for an Uruguayan team playing at home. Uh, there's a reason that the stereotype exists <clears throat> of how Uruguayan teams play. It's because of nights like this. This was physical. It was hard. Challenges flew in all around the pitch. Plenty of tough, hard-nosed challenges from both sides. You know, both teams were engaging in it, no doubt about that. Uh, but Botafogo did well to do what they did. Nacional... Uh, their striker, Silveda, is a player who caught my eye physically early on in this match. I said, why, you know, why is he still playing at Nacional? Uh, and then he got a couple of chances to finish, and I realized why he was still playing at Nacional. Because he didn't do too well. Uh, I thought he had some opportunities that he could have done better with. Gachito Fernandez, uh, Botafogo's Paraguayan goalkeeper, didn't have to do all that much tonight, uh, but did just want to take a second to recognize him for how good 
of a goalkeeper he is. I think he should be Potawai's number one. I think he is one of, if not the best goalkeepers playing in Brazil right now and on the continent of South America. He's been composed. He's a great shot stopper. He's athletic. He can go up and claim balls. I thought he was he was near flawless again tonight. Had a really good save on a bit of a pinball situation early on in the first half to keep it nil-nil. A good result for Botafogo. You don't you can't put them in the quarterfinals yet, but I think they're in a good spot. They're a decent counterattacking side. That's when they've been at their best in this competition. Uh, Nacional uh, will struggle with their pace a little bit. And I think Botafogo might Big be... A passionate crowd there as well in Rio as they well. Will. They're going to go back to, and yeah. I can guarantee it will be that, Austin. Yeah, the engine out, definitely going to be a big crowd for that. We've seen big crowds for a lot of Botafogo's matches in this competition. And I think also it appears as though Botafogo are going to be bringing in some reinforcements. I saw a report today in Global Sports that they were pretty close to closing three contracts of three decent players, Leo Valencia... Uh, who's been playing for Palestino in Chile, uh, is one that, that looks like he'll be coming over on a three-year deal to Botafogo. Uh, another Argentine player that I can't remember the name of. Uh, and then another pretty solid Brazilian player. So I think this squad might get a little bit better. Uh, should mention that Walter Montillo, uh, the Argentine midfielder for Botafogo, tried to return from an injury about a week and a half ago against Avaí. Uh, it didn't happen for him. He actually got re-injured. And that resulted in him actually retiring from football. Uh, so that's the last we'll see of Walter Montillo, a player who's been around South America for a while now. Uh, certainly a shame to see someone's career end prematurely like that. But he just really struggled to stay healthy since joining up. I think Camillo is going to be a big player for both Fogo in the second leg. He's kind of the link between the defense and the attack. Uh, he only played 10 minutes here. He's dealt with some injuries. I think both Fogo will be set up well for the second leg. I don't know that they have to be too terribly concerned with Nacional attacking them. Nacional can hurt you when they have something to hold on to, and they're not going to have that. I think both the folk are in, are in good shape, and I think we could see them in the quarterfinals. And as, as we said earlier, uh, the portion of the draw that they're in might be the easiest, but you know, it's, it's hard to count out both the Fogo at this point. Um, much like Sao Paulo last year, they've, Continued to exceed expectations. They they're a little bit better than that. Also. I think they are. I think they are. And, and like I said, there's not any individual players that have necessarily stood out for them. But they've been well organized. They've been well disciplined. And I think Jay Ventura deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with this team. No, absolutely. Well, listen, guys, we'll leave it there because it's nearly two o'clock in the morning here, and uh, we'll, we'll just take a run around the table. Any plugs and mentions? We'll start off with Adam. Anything you want to plug? Far away, where can we find you on the, the new Twitter? Oh, lucky you reminded me, but I have a new Twitter. I might have even forgotten. But yeah, it's um, at AdamBrandon84 now on Twitter. Nothing out at the moment, but I might have something out over the weekend, on, but not on World Football Index, on a Norwich site about Norwich's 92-93 season. I'm currently writing about, so... Um, Is that a relegation to- season? No. No, that's the season we finished. That's the season we finished third and almost won the league. Yeah, something to look forward to if you enjoy reading about Norwich, which I'm sure every single one of our listeners to the Copa Libertadores show does. A lot of overlap between those two subjects. You, you hear that roar of approval from from all the people who listen. <laughs> no, uh, moving swiftly along, Austin, where can we find you? What are you up to? Far away. 
I am at Austin underscore James 906 on Twitter. As you mentioned, I just got back from about two and a half weeks in Brazil. We did a podcast while I was down there, a South American football show, in which I, I kind of recapped my journey to that point. Uh, at that point, I had gone to six different matches. And so that that's a great listen for anybody who wants to hear a little bit more about Brazilian football culture, a little bit more about my time down there. I thought that podcast turned out really, really well. So I would encourage you to listen to that. Now that I'm back in the States, um, you'll be getting more of me on Twitter. So if you like that, you can celebrate. Uh, if you don't like that, you probably shouldn't have been following me in the first place. Uh, but yeah, at Austin underscore James 906 for a lot of Brazilian and South American football updates. Uh, the Braz Down, as we all know, never stops. Uh, so that'll keep rolling into this weekend. A couple of big matches. And then one week from last night, Palmeiras Corinthians in the Braz Down, which, uh, which should be fun. Uh, at the Allianz Parque, a chance for Palmeiras to put a dent in what is a lead for Corinthians at the top of the Brazilian table, which obviously nobody wants to see. And nobody's going to catch them by the looks of things. <laughs> it's really Either. disappointing. It really is. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the league's over before it, before it's begun. Like it's such such a big sort of gap there. But I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll get a chat about that in another podcast sometime. Have it yourself. Uh, where can we find you? Anything you're working on? Floor's yours. Work away. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at ZAVXAV. I just want to take the opportunity to do a big shout out for Delfin de Manta, who just won the, the first stage of the Ecuadorian League, and which granted a ticket to the final at the end of the year. And well-deserved winners of the stage. Uh, they deserve all the credit they, they are getting and all the, pre- the positive press they're getting. Great players, very undermined, very under understated, and very good. Big claps and big hooray for them. A new a new name for the Libertadores next year, then. Absolutely, they're gonna be great. Hope well they see let's see if we, they, they keep their players, right? But we'll see. Well, listen, that's grand, lads. As always, thank you so much for your time. It's much appreciated. And we'll be back again for the second leg of these in a month. Uh we have a whole month to go. So anyhow, no, just give us give our feed a check there. I'll say we're, the podcasts are starting back again this week. There should, there should be a pile of stuff coming out there um, over the next sort of seven days coming. Uh, so, again, sort of the, the transfer windows open, bits and pieces of, of movement are starting. I'm sure Adam will have some South America for us. And as I say, everything will, be, everything will keep going as is. But just one last thanks to the guys, one last thanks to the listener. And until a month's time from the Cop of Libertadores, it's goodbye. Goodbye.